Hallelujah. I am right there, folks, is an example of how we try and stretch ourselves further and further and further. You know, because that first one, see you next week, see you next... I mean, I could do that without a problem. There's no ways I'm going to try and do that one, right? (laughs) So uh, it's going to another level. So praise God for those with voices. Praise God for those that have got... uh, And I've been trying to get into the worship ministry for about 45 years now. (laughs) My wife has said, absolutely zero chance. So uh, I still keep trusting God for a miracle. So maybe you can trust God with me. Amen. Well, we're part of a series right now called Workplace, Work, Prison, or Place of Destiny. And I really think that um, that's a really apt title. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm wondering how many of us sitting here this morning kind of think work is, feels a little like prison right now, okay? Don't, don't, don't lift your hand. But God wants it to be a place of destiny. God wants us to see that as part of His calling and His focus and His purpose for our lives. If you were here last week, you will know that we're using the life of Joseph to explore principles, biblical principles of work and how God wants us to apply it to our lives. And last week, we looked at Joseph, a prince in preparation, and we saw that uh, specifically we looked at what happens when dreams, when plans, when prophetic words that we feel God's given us don't seem to be coming into fruition, don't seem to be kind of working out, seem to have stalled, stagnated, or just kind of disappeared altogether. And what are the principles God wants us to employ and apply to our lives when we feel ourselves like Joseph in a pit? when we have a vision or a dream that we will be rulers one day. And, um, and secondly, uh, next week we're going to look at Joseph, a prince in power. You know, when you eventually get to that position, and um, Jono, can I borrow your guitar again, bro? Because I would like to use this guitar as a prop. Um, hopefully I'm not going to be destroying something for the worship next service. But effectively, if this is our place of destiny, if this is the place of power, if this is where Joseph ultimately will end up in the palace, that's the dream. And next week, we're going to look at what it means to be a prince in power. But this week, we're going to focus on Joseph, a prince in process. And notice that we use the word prince in week one, week two, and week three. Because Joseph doesn't suddenly become a prince when he hits the end point. But God sees him as a prince in preparation. God sees him as a prince in process. And God sees him as a prince in power. And so we're going to read Genesis chapter 39. I'm going to ask Pastor Simon to help click me through. Because in the first service, uh, I kind of forgot to do the click through. And so guys were like, uh, either they had their own Bibles, which is good to have, or they didn't have the, the words up on the back. So I'm going to get some help this time. But I'm going to read this. And why don't we read this together and just see how Joseph was a prince in process. Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had given him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From that time, he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned. 
the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day after day after day after day, for effect, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me, and he ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home, and then she told him the story. The Hebrew slave you brought came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me, and he ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But... While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And Lord, we just pray for your blessing upon the word, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that as we explore the life of Joseph, that we will extract principles, biblical principles that we can apply to our own lives, Father, that we might be more effective as, we, as you grow us, lead us to become princes in preparation, process, and power. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, folks, I don't know if you think about process the way I think about process. Often when I think about process, I think, ah. That just sounds like such an absolute drag. That just sounds like that unpleasant bit of stuff that we've got to kind of rush through before we get to the good stuff. Just me? Okay. But folks, how many of you know that in God's kingdom, it's not just the end point that's the good stuff. It's all good stuff. You see, Joseph in the pit was good stuff. Joseph in Potiphar's house was good stuff. Joseph with Potiphar's wife was good stuff. Joseph in the prison was good stuff. And ultimately, Joseph in power was good stuff. 
Because you see, folks, when we consider just this one end point to be the good stuff, the 100,000 points along the way, we tend to ignore and not treat with the same level of respect that God intends us to treat them with as we get to that end point. Pastor Sy, could I have that remote, please? And I love the way that C.S. Lewis put it. C.S. Lewis, the writer of the, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, put it this way. He said, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending one day by day. I love the way C.S. Lewis put this, folks, because so often we can get so kind of distracted and irritated by the, the mundane, by the, the babies crying again, or, you know, the kids need to be taken to school again, when in fact what God is saying is that's part of the real life I've called you into, so use that and live that day by day by day. Joseph's process was punctuated by three key points, Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife, and prison. And I'm sure there were many, many more, but the Word of God brings those to the forefront. And let's see what we can learn from that today. And so this morning, I want to look at why process is important. I want to look at what our response to God's process needs to be. And I want to look at what should be reflected in the process in our lives if we're doing it right. And so let's start off this morning and say, why is process important? And the first reason process is important, folks, is because ultimately and primarily it's about Jesus and becoming more like Him. The ultimate objective for each of us us, is not what we can do for Him, but that we might become more and more like Him. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, imitate me just as you see me imitate Christ. Don't try and do A or B or C or D or, or, you know, kind of start a church this way. Imitate those things in me that you see me imitating in Christ. And so firstly, folks, God is less concerned about our great exploits than He is about building godly character in our lives. One of the greatest promises God gave me as a young man was this. He said to me, he said, Dorian, I'm not prepared to trade your soul for your destiny. Dorian, I'm not prepared to sacrifice your soul in order to achieve some great destiny. And folks, the reason that that promise has changed my life is because when I realized that as a young man, I felt incredible security. Security because I realized that as long as my pursuit of destiny is serving my pursuit of God, I know that there is security because He will not allow me to pursue something that takes me out of His will, out of His plan out of his purpose, and sacrifices my soul in pursuit of some activity, even if it's an activity to build God's kingdom. Can you see the sense of security that God creates for us? 
He is not prepared to sacrifice your soul in pursuit of your destiny. And friends, neither should we be prepared to do that as either. He places significantly greater value on you than he does on what he wants you to achieve. Joseph is faced with a decision. When he is faced with Potiphar's wife, he could have said to himself, who will know? I mean, this wasn't a once-off event. This is something that Potiphar's wife was relentless at. She wanted to own Joseph. She wanted to own his soul. She wanted to destroy him. And so she uses her charms to try and encourage Joseph to get into her bed. The Word of God says, he says, no, 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 no. He knows where he stands. In that moment, he could have said to himself, who will know? Because she planned this very well. She made sure that there was no one around. She thought to herself, maybe Joseph's stand will be less of a hard stand if he knows he can get away with this. And in that moment, Joseph could have said, who's going to know? She was counting on it. But in that moment, friends, Joseph said, God will know. In that moment, Joseph said, I might serve Potiphar, but ultimately I serve God and God alone. I serve an audience of one. And I don't care if no one else knows except Potiphar's wife and I. God knows. And I'm not prepared to break God's trust that he has placed in me. I'm not prepared to breach that relationship. In that moment, folks, Joseph could have tried to justify it a number of different ways. In that moment, Joseph could have said this. He could have said, you know what? I have a sense of entitlement. I do every single thing for my master. He does nothing. He doesn't have to worry about a thing. The prophets show up. You know, everything happens. He does absolutely nothing, and I serve him and him alone, and it's all for his benefit. I have a sense of entitlement. Why shouldn't I have his wife too? Maybe Joseph could have justified it this way. He could have said, you know what? My master really needs me. I do such a good job for him. If I wasn't here, he would be in a serious predicament. If this is the price I have to pay in order to serve my master, then maybe I need to pay it. Uh, stretch maybe, but he could have. He could have possibly just resigned himself to it. He could have said, you know what? I fought this so often for so long. Maybe it's just time to stop fighting. Maybe she'll leave me alone if I just give in this one time. My personal favorite justification Maybe he had a sense, could have had a sense of discipleship. I know, it's funny, right? Sense of discipleship. Well, maybe if I was closer to Potiphar's wife, I could be a godly influence in her life. I know none of us have been anywhere near those situations. I know it's, it's hypothetical, completely hypothetical. But, but guys, what I love about Joseph is None of those senses of entitlement or discipleship or, 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 or kind of resignation, none of that crosses his mind. Because in that moment, Joseph just goes, forget it. I serve an audience of one, and I'm out of here, man. There's no debate. There's no discussion. And Joseph holds true to the core and the plan and the purpose that he knows God has placed in his life. 
Friends, despite the circumstances, Joseph knew who and what he served. And every single day, we will face situations, compromising situations that will cause us and force us to make decisions as to which way we are going to go. Recently, there was a scandal that broke with the Australian cricket team. We all know about it. Television footage showed clear evidence of ball tampering. Now, maybe you've heard the term, you don't know what it means. Simply what it means is this, that if you tamper with a cricket ball and you roughen up the one side, if you bowl in a certain way, the ball moves around a lot more and it makes it a lot more difficult to bat. And so it helps the bowling team. And this was clear. There was clear evidence that the team had used sandpaper to roughen up the one side of the ball. And that's just, you, you can't do it. You know, you, you can use saliva, you can use sweat, you can kind of, you can polish the one side of the ball more than the other side. That's all legal, but you can't use sandpaper to roughen up one side of the ball. But what was shocking when this came out was the premeditation that had gone into the planning of this cheating event. And the premeditation that had been orchestrated by senior members of the team. And when this eventually was ruled on and it came out, the sanctions were very harsh on those that had been caught out. When I heard about the sanctions, I'll tell you, friends, I felt very sad. I felt sad because I was wondering, I wondered this. I said, Lord, could this have been the very first time that Steve Smith or Dave Warner or Cameron Bancroft had been faced with an ethically challenging decision? I wondered about some of the ethical decisions they had faced in the months and the years leading up to their roles before they became top international sportsmen. I thought about their lives as children and as teenagers, and I wondered what ethical choices or unethical choices they'd made along the way and what the consequences had been when they made the wrong choices and they were caught out. And then I wondered this, and I wondered how different this would have been if in that very moment, over lunch or over tea, when this idea came up, if one of those men, if any one of those men, had stood up and said, absolutely no way. What we are proposing is wrong, it's illegal, it's cheating, and it's not worth risking our reputation over it to win in this way. And it made me wonder about the choices that we make as we go through life, the ethical decisions we make as we go through life, and some of them, the consequences will be insignificant if we blow it. But they prepare us for the consequences that are not insignificant by the time we reach this point where God puts us in places of influence and power. And it saddened me when I thought about how different that could have been. Friends, the way we respond to ethical choices today matters. It matters because it sets the tone. It sets the foundation. It sets the parameters within which our conscience will govern our choices in the years to come. There's not something miraculous that happens between prison and the palace that hasn't been forged in an entire process leading up to that point. Which is why Jesus warned his disciples. He warned the crowds. He said to them, what does it profit a man 
if he gains the whole world but loses his soul. Friends, he's not prepared to sacrifice your soul for your destiny, and neither should you. The second thing, friends, is why process is important is because preparation is critical. Before Joseph could lead in the palace, before Joseph could be prime minister of Egypt, Joseph needed, Joseph needed to understand Egyptian culture. Joseph needed to understand Egyptian traditions. Joseph needed to understand Egyptian leadership protocols, Egyptian politics. He needed to understand what those on the ground believed about Pharaoh and his government and where the challenges lay. Joseph needed to learn how to operate in wisdom instead of out of foolishness and arrogance that we saw last week when he shared the dreams long before others needed to hear them. He needed to learn how to hear God's voice, not just in environments that were conducive to hearing God's voice, but environments that were outside of that, where there was aggression, where there was no real focus on God, away from his natural father. He needed to learn how to overcome temptation and how to rely on God to make ethical decisions without the need to compromise. Joseph couldn't get that from a book, but Joseph did get that in Potiphar's house. Joseph did get that from Potiphar's wife, and Joseph did get that in prison. Because what better way to learn about Egyptian tradition and Egyptian culture than from Potiphar and in Potiphar's house? What better way to learn to rule over compromising circumstances and yet stay true to God than being faced with the dilemma of Potiphar's wife? What better way to understand where the weaknesses are in Pharaoh's court than hanging out in a prison of political prisoners who are grumbling and upset with Pharaoh and are now paying the price for it? You see, God knew Joseph needed preparation. And what seemed like a whole series of unfortunate events was in fact God preparing Joseph for the ultimate event. God knew what he was doing, right? And God knows what he's doing with us, folks. And sometimes we sit there and we go, God, I just don't get this right now. Lord, why? Just like Joseph would have, I'm sure, at key points along the way. But you see, folks, God sees the whole journey. And God knew what Joseph needed to have in his heart in his spirit, what qualities, what strengths, what spiritual growth needed, Joseph needed to go through so that he could be effective in the palace. That's why I love Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. A good friend of ours, Pastor Paul Manwaring, he wrote a book, and in this book he puts it this way. He summarizes Romans 8.28 like this. He says, he wastes nothing. And he gets you ready. He wastes absolutely nothing, folks. And he gets you ready. And right now, you might be standing there going, God, I just don't see it. Lord, help me. Hold on to Romans 8, 28. Friends, because he's preparing us for greatness. Amen. Number three. Number three is coming. All right. Number three, the importance of process. Is because revelation is always partial. And what I mean by partial is, how many of you knew that when God told Joseph that he was going to rule, that was true, but it wasn't the full picture, was it? 
Joseph thought, yes, I'm going to rule. Mom will be there. Dad will be there. My 11 brothers will be there. I'm going to be the most important person in my family. He had no idea. He had no idea that God meant he was ruling in Egypt, not ruling in Jacob's family. And God chose not to tell him. And so process is important because we only see things partially. That prophetic word is not the full picture. That plan that we're developing is not the full picture. That dream God has given us is not the full picture. But God is taking you on a process to get you into that full picture. Why? Because that process is not only about preparing you, it's also about positioning you so that you're in the right place, that when he says, now, you're there. Joseph would never have ended up in Egypt by his own volition. Not a chance. So, he had to be a slave. He had to be sold as as a slave. He had to end up in Pharaoh's house. He then had to lose that entire position to end up in the prison. So that in one day, he could go from prison to the palace. And so, so God knows what he's doing. And that process where we're going, oh God, oh Lord Jesus. Maybe he's positioning you at exactly the right place. And that's why it's not often a straight line. I've kind of used a straight line illustration here. But sometimes that process will go here. And then it will go here. And then it will go there. And we're going, oh Lord Jesus, Lord, we're going there. What's happening here? And then eventually, when you eventually end up here, you end up at the end point, you go, oh, Jesus, I see what you did at every point of the way. And God, I give you glory. Amen. And friends, that's what process is about. That's God's process. And that's God's process for your life. So what is our response meant to be? Our response to God's process is simply this. Whilst we can look up at the destiny from time to time, don't try and live there today. Your responsibility today is purpose. And what I mean by purpose is, what has God called you to do today? You see, when Joseph was in the pit, it didn't help him thinking about trying to live over here. It would have been stupid to try and live in rulership, in a palace. When Joseph's in the pit, his purpose was, God, what do I do right here today in the pit? When he was in Potiphar's house as a slave, his purpose was, God, how can I serve Potiphar to the best of my ability? Lord, show me what your purpose for my life is today. When he was facing the temptation with Potiphar's wife, it's, God, show me your purpose in this situation today. And when he was in the prison, it wasn't, oh my goodness, it was, God, show me your purpose, your plan for my life today. Because he couldn't live there, not yet anyway. He had to live here. And friends, I think one of the big mistakes we have in the process is we try and tolerate it. We tolerate it, tolerate it at best, but we try and live somewhere else. And God is calling us to live in the moment. God is saying, what is my word for you today? Who is the just one that I want you to touch today? Who is the person that I want you to influence today? What is the situation I want you to change today? Because it's part of my process and preparation for getting you to that end point. But don't try and live there now. Live today. You might be a third-year engineering student. You have dreams to own your own construction company. But live as a third-year engineering student today. You, you, you might be a waiter in a restaurant and you dream of one day being a chef and owning your own restaurant. Live as the waiter today. And allow God to develop you and plan you so that that dream 
might come to fruition. You might be the partner of an audit firm today, but you have a dream and a desire to be the minister of finance one day. Be the best partner in that audit firm that you can be today so that God can prepare you for where he wants to take you. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. And the best part of it, folks, is this, that as we focus on what we can do, what's meaningful today, as we focus on what differences we can make today, as we focus on the lives that we can touch today, the best part of it is that the destiny takes care of itself. As we live today, God develops it and unfolds it day by day by day. And more importantly, the way I succeed today will be the same way that I succeed when I eventually step into that purpose and that destiny. Yesterday, Kuni and I were out cycling, and I, I, those of you that know me know that I love bi- bi- cycling. I, I do it as much as we can. And in that process of cycling, we passed a young man named Arthur. Arthur's in the middle of that picture there. Arthur, are you here today? Just want to check. No, Arthur's not here, but I know you'll come visit us sometime soon. And as we were going up Krugersdorp Hill, I said, I said, Lord, how do you want to touch and bless Arthur today? Lord, you've brought Arthur into our writing group today. We passed him. He joined us. There's a purpose for this, Lord. God, what is that purpose? Is Arthur the just one that you want us, Kuni and I, to touch today? Truth is, we had an amazing two hours together. I was more blessed, I think, than Arthur was blessed after our time together. Over cycling, over coffee, over just engaging with God, praying together, just dreaming together. And as I said goodbye to Arthur and I was going the last few kilometers home, God showed me something. God showed me this. He said, the ease with which we engage with the authors today will be the ease with which we engage with prime ministers, ministers, and market leaders tomorrow. Because if I can't engage with the authors today, Nothing's going to supernaturally change between prison and palace. And so if I'm trusting and learning how to trust God to touch the lives of people today, it's going to be so simple for me to learn to trust God of the presidents and the prime ministers and the market leaders tomorrow. It's part of God's process for our life. So Lord, we pray that you will help us to prove ourselves faithful with little. Because, Lord, as we prove ourselves faithful with little, we know that you'll be able to trust us with more. And, Lord, we also pray that you would help us to overcome those feelings of being unfaithful. Because, Father, we don't want the curse to follow our lives when we eventually step into that destiny. How do I know whether I'm following God or not? How do I know whether this process is part of his life, if I'm winning at this process? Well, what happened in Joseph's life, folks? Joseph was not defined by his role. Joseph stepped into the role, embraced God, and then redefined the role around who he was and who God was. I want to encourage you. You might be in a process right now and you're saying, God, it sucks. It's tough. I want to encourage you to redefine that role. Don't let that role define you. You redefine it because in God, you can do all things. Joseph's involvement made things better. He was blessed. His master was blessed. Everything he touched was blessed because he was part of the process. 
your process is being done right, there's going to be a blessing that flows out of it. Regardless of whether the man you seem to be serving is godly or not. But you being part of it is going to make things better. And finally, when the process is being done right, it will result in greater and greater responsibility. Because people are going to seek you out. People are going to want to know what you think about certain things. And they're going to want to say, because things are better with you in it, we would love to give you more and more stuff to do. Pastor Simon got a prophetic word this week. I want to share it with you. This was the word. Joburg is one of South Africa's gateway cities, commercially and spiritually. God is calling us to make an impact in this city, and this will have a positive influence in the nation and the nations. A gateway city is an entry point where people arrive and depart. A city where people stay for a season and move to other parts of the country or even internationally. As every nation rose back, we see ourselves as a resource center and an apostolic church. What does that mean? That means we are called to engage, establish, equip, and empower leaders to go to the marketplace and to the ends of the world with the gospel of salvation and of the kingdom. You all know that we are trusting God to touch the lives of 10,000 people a week from this place on a Sunday. The reason for that is so that those 10,000 might go out and touch 100,000 people every single week. Folks, the way that we get to touch 100,000 people every single week is that by this group of us right now going out and touching 800 people. By each one of us going and saying, God, just one. How do I touch the life of somebody this week? How do I impart some of you and some of your life into them? Folks, that's how it starts. It starts with us saying, God, your process. Yes, we look up and we say, God, 10,000. But we live right here. We live with the 800 that God has given us right now in this room. And we say, Lord Jesus, have your way. And so, folks, if you're here today and you're saying, Jesus, whether your process is particularly hard right now, whether your process is a little easier, if you're saying, God, I embrace your process. I embrace your process for my life. I embrace your process for this church, for this city, for this nation. If that's you and you're saying, God, I want to embrace that, will you stand to your feet right now? Because I want to pray that God will take us and seal his process in our lives so that we might be more effective in reaching those that he has placed around us. Father, we just come to you and we say, Lord, thank you. Lord, our desire is to focus on purpose, day-by-day purpose and not ultimate destiny. Lord, our desire is that we might become more and more like you. First and foremost, Father, more and more like you. Lord, our desire is that you prepare us. That through this process, you will correctly position us for that end point, for that ultimate destiny. Lord, together we're trusting you that we will touch the lives of just one. And as each of us touches the lives of just one, Lord, we know that 800 1,000, 2,000, and ultimately 100,000 people will be touched in us and through us every week. And so, Father, we start with what you've given us, and we say, Lord Jesus, we embrace your process. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a market leader, if you're in some kind of position of influence, we just have a sense that we particularly want to pray God's anointing over you this morning. If that's you, and you know who you are, will you just raise your hands? Just raise both hands if that's you. All right? Don't be embarrassed. You know who you are. 
All right, you're currently in a position where God has set you apart, position of influence, position of authority. Rest of us, will we please look around, see those hands raised. Let's go and lay our hands upon them and trust God for a special anointing over their lives right now. Let's move quickly. This is body ministry, folks. Please look around. I want to make sure that everybody with their hands raised has got at least one person with their hands upon them, laid upon them. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for the entrepreneurs. I thank you for the market leaders. I thank you for those that you have raised up, Lord Jesus, and already placed in positions of authority. God, we pray for wisdom. We pray for anointing. Lord, we pray for the removal of the roadblocks that they are currently facing. We pray for a godly team of leaders, of prayer warriors around them in Jesus' name. And Father, we just pray that as they step into that destiny and continue to fulfill it, that you will go before them. And as Joshua, every place they put their foot, we pray that you'll continue to give it to them in Jesus' name. Two more things I want to pray for folks. If you're unemployed, you're trusting God for a job right now, will you just raise your hands? Because we're going to trust God. There we go. There's hands up. Hands up everywhere. Quickly raise your hands. If you're trusting God for something, again, everybody, please turn around. Someone close to you, we're going to pray that God's going to provide a job right now. Amen. Father, right now, you're a God that answers prayers. Right now, Lord, we have a need to see you come through and provide a job, part of the destiny, part of the calling, Lord Jesus, part of the preparation. Father, right now, we pray that you provide it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we see it, see it in faith and we receive it. Hallelujah, Father. Hallelujah, Lord. Almost done, folks. Stay standing, please. If you're here today, and as I was sharing the word, you realized that there's a place of compromise that is just too loud in your life right now. Those Potiphar wife situations, you're not like Joseph, able to say absolutely no way. And you know that's because you're not right with God. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Him. Maybe you've never made a decision to make Him your Lord and Savior. Maybe you made that decision once upon a time, but you've drifted. And now it's harder to hear God's voice, and it's so much easier just to submit and compromise. If that's you this morning, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to step out of your seat. I'd like you to be bold. I'd like you to step out of your seat. Bring your possessions, bring your kind of things with you. And come down here because I would like to pray for you. If that's you this morning, I don't want to stop the service until we've given you an opportunity to say, Jesus, I want to make right with you. There we go. Well, thank you. Thank you. Let's give her a hand. I know there's more than one. I know there's more than one. If that's you, thank you, my dear. Thank you. That's super brave. And God is going to honor you for that. Don't miss this opportunity. Some of you have heard this call. Congratulations. Some of you have heard this call more than once. And God's saying today's the day. Today is the day. Compromise stops today. Well done, bro. Well done. Well done, guys. There are more. Well done, everybody. Right in front. 
you need to be here, come now. If you need to be here, you know who you are. Because God is speaking. He's knocking. You know in your heart it's real. It's a, it's, it's a message you've been hearing. Don't miss it. Hallelujah. Folks, would you just give me an extra three minutes? Amen. Come on. Come on, guys. Come on. Amen. Come on. Come on, right up front. Come on. All right, we're going to pray together. Amen. Come, come, come. If you need to be here, come. All right, guys, I'm going to pray a very short prayer. And all I want you to do is I want you just to repeat this prayer after me, okay? Folks, you're out there. Let's pray together with these amazing people that have made this decision to follow Jesus. Amen. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning and I say, Lord, enough. Today I make a decision. I no longer want to walk in compromise. I want to serve you. Become my God. Become my King. Become my Savior. Amen, Lord Jesus. Amen, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah.